David, a man after God's own heart, part 19. The title of this morning's message, Sin and its Victims, from 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 to 29. Maybe this has happened to you. It has certainly happened to, to me. That getting caught in a, in a traffic jam on a freeway and you don't know what the reason is. And it can be quite frustrating as the, the traffic goes on for kilometre after kilometre. So sometimes as we eventually approach what was, what was causing the whole thing, you, you come close to the emergency vehicles and the sirens and all of these and there are paramedics and others working on the scene. But as you, go, as you drive past, you, you cannot help but turn your head and, and just look at what has happened. And, and we cannot help but, but feel pity for those who have been involved in the accident. But what if the crash was the guy who passed you 30 minutes ago, way back then, and uh, as he waved through the traffic, you know, at 100 kilom- 180 kilometres an hour, and, and, and he's the one that caused the accident, it would appear, are you still feeling sorry for him? Let me give you another scenario. Let, let me ask, did you laugh when the, the three stooges were hitting each other with a hammer? Why is it funny on television, you know, when, and yet when you hit yourself with a hammer while you're working in the workshop or whatever, it's not... Not all that funny, but actually quite painful as you, as you see your nail turning black. One is tragedy, the other one is humour. How do we explain that? Well, psychologists have come up with a term for this and it is called Schadenfreude. It's a German word and uh, the definition is it's the experience of pleasure, joy or self-satisfaction that comes from learning or of learning of or witnessing the troubles, failures or humiliation of another person or another family. The rest of 2 Samuel is a bit like a a pile-up on the freeway and and we cannot help but look and stare and, and ask the question, why is this even in the Bible? After all, isn't, isn't TV where, where sordid stories of sex and violence, they're turned into entertainment. But this is the Word of God. The passage before us, we have to be honest, it is one of the most ugliest in all of the Bible. It has no positive outcomes that we can take from it. But it is here for a reason. And our duty is to learn from God's word in its totality, even from the bits that we don't particularly like. Now last week we discussed the consequences of David's sin with Bathsheba. The confrontation from the prophet, the David's confession, the forgiveness, and then the, the cost that had to be born by his own judgment. By his own judgment, he deserved to die, but God took away his sin and forgave him. 
However, just as God had said, the consequences of his sin will not end there. The pile-up will continue for years to come, all out in the open, and it will be displayed in his own family. Deep inside, let's be honest, deep inside, uh, we prefer the, the Sunday school version of David, the, the underdog, the, the shepherd, the warrior, the warrior who stood up for the little guy, the one who became the greatest king. And, and like, like the crowds who were cheering him on, you know, David has slain, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. We want to be there. We want to be cheering David on, onto greater victories. But sadly, sadly he is more like us than we would like to admit. In chapter 11, his crown has well and truly lost its shine. Despite all that, God's promises to bless him continue and he remains. He remains a man after God's own heart. A verse to remember when we come to difficult passages such as this is is there in Romans. Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And it's a great verse for us to remember. So let's get into our text this morning. In verses 1 and 2, it's the scandal. And this is what we read. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Before us is is an insider's view as he he narrates the story of this this gut-wrenching dynamics within David's family. In the previous chapter... King David is told that because of his sin with Bathsheba, the sword will never leave his family. So in this chapter, we see the the chain reaction of events that would lead to the deaths of two of his sons, as well as the shame on his beautiful daughter. And as this scandal unfolds, there there are no easy solutions. And, And no one seems to come out and act in a, in a worthy, in a heroic manner to, to bring healing and to bring restoration out of this mess. David's eldest son, Amnon, had fallen in love with his half-sister, Tamar. She was beautiful, a virgin of marriageable age. And although the text calls it love, Amnon's action make it clear that it was anything but love. Amnon wants to do something to her. We know what that is. It was consuming lust and infatuation that, that sought to satisfy no one else but his own sexual appetite. The only thing missing, I suppose, for him was an opportunity to carry out his deed. 
In verses 3 to 5, the instigator. Now Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shemiah, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man and he asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? And Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. So in comes cousin Jonadab. We cannot help but notice the number of shady characters that appear in David's story, right? There's one after the other. And here is another one, and he was his very own nephew. And when he reveals his longings to him, the two devise a scheme that will result in in Amnon raping his very own sister. Now, although Jonadab is not the perpetrator, his part in all this is totally inexcusable. And while he should not be blamed for all that ensued, he concocted this, this devious plan to get the two of them alone together. What he should have done in his position of of influence is to hold his cousin accountable and wake him up to the dangers of his passions. He had opportunity to protect Amnon from himself and an innocent girl who was also his cousin. Instead, he goes and instigates this, this horrible episode. Um, it is challenging, isn't it? It's, we, we see it. Uh, the laws before Parliament and, and what is coming out of university and, and what is being taught in, in our society and in our schools. It's challenging to be living in a society with ever-degrading values. So as Christians, what do we do? Well, one of the things we need to do is we need to Include some moral fibre in our breakfast. It has to be part of our daily diet that it's saying, no, look, this is what the Bible says and this is where society is going. What am I going to do? Who am I going to trust? What am I going to follow? Do I just follow the patterns of this world and society because it's what everybody else is doing? Or do we say, no, the Bible is calling us, this is what we need This is the way we are to live. We're not going to follow the world. At times, we find ourselves in situations where we know that it's wrong, but we refuse to speak up against something that our friends or or loved ones are doing. We refuse to speak up. We remain quiet. Perhaps we don't want to risk the friendship because we know it's easier to just simply go along rather than challenge the, the unacceptable behaviour. It takes courage to stand up to your friends and sometimes to stand up even to fellow Christians in order to do what is right in the eyes of God. This is what James says to us in James chapter 5, verses 19 to 20. My brothers and sisters... If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, 
Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. It's a great verse, isn't it? And it tells us, it gives us the duty of, of us as a Christian family, the way we, what we are to do with our brothers and sisters when we see them moving away from the truth. In verses 6 to 7, the bystander. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. David... He should have known, he should have suspected something fishy, something strange was was happening when Amnon asked for this one particular sister. Ask more questions about the behaviour of the eldest son. And then in the aftermath of it all, even though when he found out he was absolutely furious, He didn't really address the evil even two years after the attack. Now, one can understand the perpetrator was his own son. But also, on the other hand, the victim was his own daughter. It doesn't get more conflicted than that. But even so, as, as a king and as a father, he had the responsibility of addressing this evil rather than remain silent. And of course, let's remember that this all happened in the aftermath of David's own scandal. And what he did then would have clouded his judgment and the way he went about addressing this issue. He was, we we cannot help but think that he was living, still living in the shadow of his own guilt and, and remorse. Furthermore, maybe if he tried to intervene, all that the kids had to, to say was, well, Luke who's finally shown some interest in the family. If it isn't the absent father who's, who's been very busy with the ladies of late. Don't worry, Dad. You know, we'll get you some binoculars for Christmas to make life a little bit easier for you. You see, there's no way for him to undo what has already been done. And there's no way that he can turn back God's judgment, which had been pronounced on his family. But whatever the situation, he was still the father. He couldn't just stand by and watch this whole thing become worse and worse day by day. And we come to the victim, verses 8 to 9. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. 
It, it breaks our heart, doesn't it, that, that when, when we think about what this beautiful girl, inside and out, what she had to go through. She did all that she was asked to do, which was to visit and care for her supposedly sick brother. And yet through no fault of her own, she, we see her trapped, ignored, raped, despised, banished and ruined. She called out the evil deed for what it was and, and pled. He was pleading with Amnon to, to consider the circumstances, the, the consequences, both for her and for him. And she was right, of course. <clears throat> Verse 20 is one of those sad verses. She becomes a desolate woman. And, and, and unfortunately, Amnon would eventually also pay with his life. Now, rape was shameful enough. But this was also incest. And, and this was explicitly forbidden in the law. And it included half-sisters. <coughs> Leviticus 18, for example, uh, Leviticus 18 has a whole list of forbidden sexual relations. Uh, now, today they say that incest is one of the last taboos in our society. And, and you can also you just start reading some of the stuff that is out there and, and slowly but surely they're trying to even adjust our sensibilities to this as well, believe it or not. And you ask anyone out there why incest is wrong and they will say it's because it will affect the babies. Really? Is that your best answer? While this might be one of the, the side issues, one of the side effects, it isn't the main reason why this is horrible. The main reason we need to object to this is because God says it's wrong. God said it's wrong and he said it for a very good reason. But let's also look at it from another side. Let's all be, also be very sensitive to the wounds of victims of abuse. We don't want to hurry past the, the, the violation that Tamar suffered. The text does not go deep into the pain and heartache that she experienced in the way that she was, she was treated. She was, she was destroyed, however. And what happens is with, uh, with a lot of victims of sexual abuse is that they can often feel overlooked, isolated and ashamed. For many, um, for many of them, the, the, the thought of, of having to go to court and having to retell everything in front of lawyers, in front of a jury and everybody, it was just too much. This is why a lot of sexual crimes go unreported, especially within families, which is really sad. Now, Ted mentioned uh, the course that we are doing, Creating Safe Spaces, and uh, many of our volunteers, the volunteers in our church, are in the process of doing this course online, and, 
And in that cause, you will, you will find that there's quite a, this whole issue of abuse and, and what to do about it is, is addressed. There's a lot of information on what to do and what not to do as we respond to these challenges as, as a church and as, we, as God calls us to, to minister in, in this broken world. And as we minister, we need to do this in a God-honoring way and be very sensitive to a lot of the, the victims of abuse. Now we go to the perpetrator in verses 9 to 11. This is what he said. He says, send everyone out of here. So everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. As we said, Amnon was David's eldest son. And there were certain rights and privileges, but also responsibilities attached to to the firstborn. He was the most obvious candidate to inherit David's throne as the fulfillment of God's promise in, in, in chapter 7, verse 12. I will raise, this is what God said, I will raise up your offspring after you. And during the attack, Tamar pleaded with him to act honourably. But obviously Amnon would not listen, he would not relent. It appears that Amnon was no better at dealing with his feelings than his dad. What he felt was love, it was lust, desire. And they're obviously not the same thing. He focused on satisfying his own lust rather than act with the, with the honour as, as a prince of, of, of a privileged position that he had within the family. To make matters worse, if that's even possible, right? After he is done, in verse 15 we read, Amnon hated her, this is hated Tamar, with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. It's disgusting behaviour, isn't it? Just when you thought things could not get any worse. But you know, look at our society today. Unfortunately, the shock wears very quickly for us. There are thousands of Amnons in music videos and in song lyrics and in our movie screens that to the point that we become almost desensitised as, as we, we listen and, and, and look at the stuff and call it some form of entertainment. An over-sexually charged society that keeps promoting this stuff It will have repercussions. And we need to pray for our kids. We need to pray for our families. Pray for our church as we minister in these disturbing times. 
What about the avenger? Verses 20 and then verses 28 to 29. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Adnan, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take things to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. In verses 28 to 29, Absalom ordered his men, Listen, when Amnon is high, is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. Of all the men in this sorry episode, Absalom seems to be the most honourable, but only just. After his sister's attack, he shows her compassion by taking her into his own household and cares for her. But the attack takes a toll on him as he hates Amnon for what he had done. His anger continues to simmer below the surface for two whole years. He's bidding his time. He's waiting for the right moment while while plotting and eventually executing the murder of his brother Amnon. But he doesn't stop there as we look at the, the rest of 2 Samuel then he will, following the murder, he, he provokes an insurgence by leading a revolt against his very own father, King David. His justified anger ends up corrupting his character. Maybe you're listening to all of this and maybe you've read this passage many times and thought, where, where was God in all of this? What was God, what was he doing about all of this? A shattered woman remains ignored by justice and unrestored by murder. God is actually never mentioned in, in the whole affair. Does he still care? Yes, he does. We might not like it or not, but this is the fulfilment of his judgment on the house of David. Humanly speaking, things appear to be out of control, but God is actually fulfilling his word whether we approve of it or not. God will do what he has to do. And you look outside, you look at our world, And the same God is fulfilling his word today just as he said he would. Things are turning out what he told us in his word. We should not be surprised. Finally, I want to quote the great C.H. Spurgeon. This is what he said. Often do I hear men say, I don't want to bring up my boy up to my trade. The work is dirty, the hours long and the pay is small. I have heard them say, I should not like to see my boy in our office. There are so many temptations and so on. Did you ever hear a pious man say, 
I should not like my boy to be a Christian. Did you ever hear a a godly matron say, I should deeply regret to see my daughter become a follower of Christ? No. But what they have possessed for themselves, they have longed to have for their children. End of quote. So said Spurgeon. Isn't that right? Because we all want our marriages, our families, our children to be to be shining examples of courageous faith in the midst of the challenges. And it breaks our hearts when reality is at times different. And, and we, we read in the Old Testament, in 1 and 2 Samuel, that even, even good leaders like David and Samuel and Eli, they had terrible sons. Someone said this, and I quote, Godly parents have often been afflicted with wicked children. Grace does not run in the blood, but corruption does. End of quote. And the old saying, like father, like son, is a terrifying thought, isn't it? And it's not inevitable that my own children will display all my faults but it is highly likely that they will be affected by them. And some kids, we know, some kids will seek to deflect their own responsibility and blame their parents to excuse their own behaviours. Sometimes it's justified, many times it's not. We are all called to be responsible for our own behaviours. That's what the Bible says. We will all be accountable. And yes and no, there are no perfect fathers. We have a perfect father in heaven. In every possible way, he is perfect. And yet he still gets the blame for everything that goes on. Back to our text. None of the men in this text seem to be good examples of how we should respond to sin and temptation. Yet we still see God's grace. Our sins are many. His mercy is more. God remained faithful to his promises to David and to his family. And as we hear this story, we are amazed at why God does this. Why, why is God's promise concerning his kingdom still being fulfilled? Because his words are true. Because God is faithful. And we praise God because the ultimate son of David has come and he did not inherit his father David's flaws and failures. And he did not lower the bar to our standard or fallenness, but in fact when he came, he lifted our sights to heaven and told us, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. He didn't say, he didn't say, be perfect therefore as your earthly father is perfect, but be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. May we always 
may always seek to please him in every way. Amen.